What's up, Brewers fans? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Barrel Banter. I'm your host, Peter Go. David, it has been it's been quite a while since uh, I was on the mic. You've been handling it solo with uh, some of the the breaking news going on in Brewers world, and the breaking news kind of continued. Not quite as much of a shock as uh, the Craig Council news, or maybe even the, the Pat Murphy uh, news. But of course, Brandon Woodruff, one of the greatest pitchers in franchise history, which is a little bit strange to say, but he truly is. Uh, of course, no longer a Milwaukee Brewer. So that and much more today. I, I feel like there's the first, like, we knew the offseason was going to be busy, but I, did you expect the first, what, three, four weeks of uh, the offseason to be as crazy as it has been? Not at all. We, uh, we've had three trades so far. We've had a managerial change and we had Woodruff non-tendered, which we knew the Woodruff news was going to come in some form. We didn't know if it was going to be extension, trade, or non-tender. But we knew something was going to happen. We knew something was going to come with council. But of course, it ended up being probably as dramatic as possible. And then a couple of trades. I know the three trades haven't been that major, but still three trades this early in the offseason is pretty eventful for it only being November 20th. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. Uh, a lot of trades. We'll, we'll be breaking down all those trades. Brandon Woodruff. We'll talk a little bit about Pat Murphy and Ricky Weeks, uh, the new managerial duo, I guess, um, coming in to the Brewers 2024 season. I know we did a, David, you did a quick bonus episode, right? When those, when that news broke, but we'll, we'll break that down a little bit more today and cover additional transactions. Like you said, three, three trades to cover as well. And yeah, it's been, it's been quite some time since we got on the mic here together. I'm excited to be back on dusted off the old Yelich Jersey, uh, in time for today's episode, which as I was getting my, my, uh, Yelich uniform out or uniform, my Yelich Jersey out. I was, it was next to my Urias jersey, which was not, did not last very long. Of course, now the Seattle Mariners infielder, Luis Urias. But I was just thinking about the way baseball is today. It's like you can't buy a jersey nowadays and have the thing last for more than a couple of years, at least for the Brewers, it seems like. You sound like such an old person. That's what, like, <laughs> I feel like you would go to a doctor's office and it'd be like your 62 year old doctor, like, oh, well, you know, I am a Brewers fan, but back in my day, we would get Charlie Moore jerseys and Gorman Thomas jerseys, but. Yep. Now these players just have no loyalty. Well, it's okay, kind of true, but yeah, yeah. So is so, it, uh, I, I, how about let's let's see it. Is Willie Adames going to be at Brewers on deck in like twenty sixty eight? That's a good question. <laughs> I mean, Willie Adames. Let's see who was. So if we go back like five years when they actually had Brewers on deck, they had which they do have the the new winter warm up event coming uh, in a mid January. But at Brewers on deck, they would have who? They would have. Yount fingers was that it? They had they had Yount and fingers. Yeah, Gantner would be there. Gorman, Gorman Thomas was there. Jerry Augustine. True, Augustine for the broadcasting. So I guess probably not Adames unless the Brewers win a pennant in twenty four with Adames on the roster. There then we, go. we might see Adames in Cooper. Cooper, I don't know if he was ever on Brewers on deck. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think he was. I don't think he was. Yeah, I don't know. But anyways. um yeah, it is true. You can't. Okay, so then question. who? If you had to buy one jersey of one brewer, uh, I guess outside of Yelich, who's obviously signed for a long-term contract, what jersey would you buy right now in, in hopes of, of owning it the longest, or in hopes of that player, I should say, staying with the brewers the longest? It'd probably be Sal, Sal Freelich. I think he uh, he's probably got the best chance. I mean, you could say Churio, but he, he doesn't have a number yet. He hasn't made his debut. <laughs> so probably Sal. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, Churio's, a, Churio's probably a pretty good pick, too. Contreras um, also. I, I yeah. think he'll be here for a while. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. So now that we've got that out of the way, let's go through our laundry list of transactions that have transpired over the last couple of weeks, starting off with the managerial change. Brewers hiring Pat Murphy as the manager, Ricky Weeks, the associate manager, not bench coach, associate manager. Kind of interesting. Um, title, slight title change there, but that, that was number one, Jefferson Caro and Bradley Blaylock. They were both added to the 40 man roster. Of course, we mentioned Brandon Woodruff, non-tender JC Mejia, a little bit, uh, not a little bit, a lot of it, uh, less noticeable. Rowdy Telez, of course, also non-tendered, not a huge surprise given his year that he had last year. And then the three trades you mentioned, Brewers trading away, Robert Moore and Henry Mendez for second baseman, Oliver Dunn. Trading infielder Abraham Toro, I believe he was the Brewers' uh, team leader in batting average last year, minimum 18 at-bats or 18 plate appearances. Uh, Traded him in exchange for a pitcher, Chad Patrick, 
And then kind of a, an interesting trade, the Brewers traded Jace Avina, who's a, actually a top 30 prospect or was for the Brewers, Brian Sanchez, the pair of them bringing back first baseman and former decent prospect, Jake Bowers. Um, interesting trade. I'm excited to hear your thoughts on that. And then finally, two minor league signings, Enoli Paredes and Jared Koenig, not uh, too notable, but quite excited. Quite quite the busy couple of weeks here. Let's let's start things off here with, with Pat Murphy, Ricky Weeks. You gave us sort of the facts last week on the bonus episode. If you didn't listen to that and you want to get a good summary of, of Pat Murphy's background um, as, as he navigated his way, uh, everybody knows, of course, he, of course, he coached at Notre Dame, but really had a really long career at Arizona State and the Padres before um, bouncing over to the Brewers in 2016. But what were your thoughts on, on the Murphy and Weeks um, announcement and anything that's changed for you over the past week as things have transpired? Not really. I think it was a reasonably good move. I think once Council left, I mean, we can debate whether they should have offered more to Council or not, but Council is gone. And so who do you look to uh, instead of Council now that Council's gone? I think Murphy was the most logical candidate. I wrote for Reviewing the Brew, my first article on Reviewing the Brew, about why Pat Murphy might be the most logical choice. And there are a few reasons for that. Uh, I think one of them would be Council was a figure that was beloved in the Brewers organization uh, among the players. They all loved Council. So I think going to the, the next guy or keeping keeping it in the organization with someone that you know that the players like already, that that's kind of a safe pick that I think is a good pick or a good decision to make to keep it with someone that you know the players like. Murphy's got an extensive baseball background. He was, of course, the Brewers bench coach for eight years, was a Padres interim manager at the major league level, managed in the minor leagues for four and a half years, coached in the college ranks for 25 plus, including some very successful stints um, in Arizona State and at Notre Dame. So I think the extensive baseball background certainly checks the box there. He's not a 38-year-old unproven coach that's rising through the ranks quickly, but he's someone who's established himself. And I think that goes along with, with the third reason why I like the Murphy hire, and that would be his development focus. He was a minor league manager for four and a half years. He was a college coach for 25 plus. So he's got experience with player development. I know listening to a past interview with Murphy, he said when he was younger, he was really only concerned about winning games winning games at the college level. He, he won a thousand games, so he was very successful in that regard. But as he progressed in his career, he realized I need to focus more on developing the players because ultimately who cares how many games I win? We want to win as a team and I, my goal is to help us win. But my goal is also to help develop the players as players and as men. And having that perspective, I think is particularly good right now. Not that the Brewers don't care about winning in 2024, but this is a crucial year for the development of players like Bryce Terang, Joey Weimer, Sal Freelich, Garrett Mitchell, Jackson Churio. You can go on and on. There are seven, eight guys that will probably either debut this year or debuted last year and play a big role. So I think the development aspect and having that perspective at the age he has and the experience that he's had so far lend the hire to be a pretty good one with Murphy. So what grade would you give both? We'll, we'll pair them together, the Murphy and Weeks hiring, given what you've shared. I would go with B+. It's not like Murphy is a superstar manager who's proven. I mean, the Rangers went out and got Bruce Bochy. That would be like an A move, but there's not really that available candidate. So, I mean, I think Murphy, pretty good hire. Um, the one thing is he doesn't have the experience as a major league manager. So more than the interim managing stint with the Padres. So that is the one knock on Murphy. It's not like Murphy is the perfect candidate for that reason, but I think he's pretty good. And I think bringing Weeks on as well is a nice addition. We don't really know about Weeks as a coach, but he seems very passionate, ready to uh, to take on this new role. And he's also young, so he can maybe relate to players better. Usually you pair um, a, a veteran manager, an older manager with a younger guy like Weeks as the bench coach, or in this case, the associate manager. So I would say that the Weeks hire is is pretty good, although, yeah, we don't really know about Weeks coaching. Yeah. So we don't really know about Murphy's managing style that much either in terms of uh, how he manages games, bullpens, how long he leaves starters in, when he pinch hits, that kind of thing. 
but we do know a little bit about Murphy's background. Yeah, that is interesting. We've, we're so accustomed to the council style of managing. It'll be interesting to see if Pat Murphy continues that or if it, if, if things change a little bit, because we've seen that the same way for this entire era of Brewers baseball. So it's interesting to see. I don't know if we'll see more bunts or more steals or um, starters given more length. I don't know. It, it's interesting. And that'll obviously depend on what type of roster the Brewers have out there as well going into the season. But you mentioned your article on reviewing the brew. I know you're going to be writing there. I think there's other places you're going to be potentially writing as well. Uh, why don't you fill our listeners in on a brief side note there? Yeah, I'll start creating content for Brewer Fanatic, both writing and video. So I'll be making some short videos. So I don't know when my first uh, piece will come out. I haven't, I'm just in the starting stages of um, setting things up with Brewer Fanatic, but I'll be there over at, uh, yeah, reviewing the brew and Brewer Fanatic branching out a little bit further. Sounds good. Sounds good. So let's let's shift gears away from managerial role into the three non-tenders of Gwen Rowdy Telez, JC Mejia, and Brandon Woodruff. So JC Mejia, kind of a, a bit of an uh, – we, I think, move on from that one. He was suspended for the second time last last year. Pretty easy uh, non-tender there. Rowdy Telez hit 215, slugged 376, and was due for almost $6 million this year. Also, unfortunately, a slam dunk. Briefly uh, on, on Rowdy, I feel like it deserves at least a little bit of some time here. I, I guess, how surprised are you, you know, think a year back to where we were a year ago, probably sitting in the exact seats we were sitting in now and uh, talking about the 2023 Brewers and Rowdy Telez. And we, we talked about the shift going, you know, the shift change, the rule in the shift changing and uh, how that could help him. So how surprised are you to see that we're sitting here in November at the end of the 2023 season, the Brewers just letting Rowdy walk. I'm surprised, but I'm not shocked because I thought Rowdy was going to bounce back. I thought he was going to have a pretty good year, but it was mostly based on the numbers. And I thought like the numbers definitely provided reason for Rowdy being pretty good this year. But I also like watching Rowdy didn't necessarily think that he was going to bounce back like the, the side that you can't measure. I, I couldn't tell you exactly why. It just felt like he wasn't. So I kind of was conflicted in that. I still overall went with the numbers saying that he'll probably bounce back. So that's why I would say I'm a little bit surprised. But usually with usually with a one-dimensional first baseman, you're really only one bad year away from a non-tender at all times. So it's not shocking in that in that regard. Well, and especially like you said one-dimensional and you, when when you're due, you know, 5.9 million dollars, it's unfortunately not that hard of a decision, I guess. Um, I think you're right. Uh, it was a good move still in, in the way the Brewers got him. They didn't really give up much to get him and they got some value, but it was unfortunate, especially given that he was a guy I think that Brewers fans seem to like, uh, a face that's been with the Brewers here for a couple of years. Um, so a little bit sad to see him go, but I, I mean, it, just the reality of of the situation, you knew he was going to be gone. So a guy that you know didn't we didn't necessarily know was going to be gone, uh, certainly – a couple months ago, that would be Brandon Woodruff. Of course, he was likely or is likely going to miss all uh, or if not all, most of 2024 with the shoulder injury. So we talked about this already, uh, I guess, in, in the past in terms of, you know, what his outlook could could be in, in, in his career. We talked about guys, comps in terms of who had the surgery. Um, but I guess tell us a little bit more about um, if the Brewers had the option to, to trade him, would you have traded him? What are your thoughts on that? And, and where do you think he goes from now? He, excuse me, he goes from here because I'm just curious as a Brandon Woodruff fan, what's next for him? Yeah, so he's a free agent. So he's free to negotiate with any team. And there have been reports already that many teams have been checking in on Woodruff and interested in him, which doesn't come as a surprise to me. He's like the biggest buy low candidate like low, I don't know if I'd say low risk, I'd say like medium risk, high reward. But in a time where an ace starting pitcher is worth 25 to 35 million, we saw Aaron Nola sign for seven years, 172. Getting a possible ace or near ace for 2025, even if he only gives you 120 innings and maybe doesn't make it back for 2024, even if you get that for $22 million, 
that's a that's a good deal in in the the current market. We saw Noah Syndergaard get twenty million for a year coming off Tommy John surgery a couple of years ago. The Angels were willing to take that risk. I think other teams would have been willing. So it's unlikely he returns to the Brewers. Matt Arnold said that they would like to have him back, and this is not closing the door on that possibility. But I just don't see it happening. I would guess he'll get about two years, twenty-two million, and. I just don't see the Brewers being willing to put that money towards a pitcher who likely will miss most, if not all, of 2024. You don't know if he's going to come back. This is a, a surgery that has significantly altered careers, if not ended them. Will that happen to Woodruff? I don't know because Woodruff is a better pitcher than most of the other pitchers that had this surgery. But I'm not super confident either that he's going to come back and be the same Brandon Woodruff. I don't think the Brewers are willing to take that risk. I think if they signed him for two years, 15 million, maybe, but I don't think two years, 22 million is something the Brewers are going to be willing to do. And personally, I'm okay with the fact that we didn't trade him because the offers weren't that good. It was going to be Brandon Woodruff for the next Keon Broxton or the next, I don't know who's Kirk Neuenheis, uh, <laughs> some, some depth piece in, high A, that, that was really the type of return they were looking at. And the the optics would have been weird to trade a, an all time, really an all-time franchise great pitcher for almost nothing. And then Woodruff has to go there, uh, which of course is part of the game. But with what Woodruff's done for the organization, the Brewers wanted to give him that opportunity to decide. And it also would have closed the door for sure on Woodruff returning to the Brewers. In this case, they can say that we're we're trying to bring him back. Whether or not that's really going to happen, uh, I don't think it will. But it does give the Brewers that opportunity, even if it's only for for some better PR. Yeah, and, and it's the right thing to do. Um, I think in this scenario, I'm glad that they didn't trade him either. If that was going to be what the case was, because a, a guy like Woodruff earned that. You know, it's not that the Brewers necessarily uh, they didn't give up much by by choosing to non-tender him than getting the next Kirk Neuenheis, like you said. And uh, Brandon Woodruff deserved to have his options open in free agency and obviously hoping for the best for him. But just a crazy turn of events here the last couple of months. We talked about a possible extension all kind of all season long um, sporadically about a possibility of a, a Brandon Woodruff extension and speculating that he could be the one the Brewers extend. And yeah, unbelievable that uh, that just like that he's gone. But Chips just sort of fell in the play into place. That unfortunately, like it just seems like that that was the route the Brewers sort of had to take. I mean, and even you think about a two year deal for him, depending where the Brewers try to go as a team here this next year. But with how young they are, they're probably not looking to win a World Series this coming year, unless they fill in some pretty big holes, which I'm not certain that they will. Or very confident that they will. And you look at 2025 as a year where again the Brewers are still probably quite young. And so it's also not a great time that the Brewers necessarily want to be paying a guy like Woodruff, who I would I would classify maybe even as high risk, because yeah, I, I think he's he's high you know high potential return for a guy like him. He, he could come back and be a similar guy and maybe be a number two or maybe even a, a number one, but he's high risk in that you don't know necessarily when he's going to come back. You don't know how many innings you'll get. Obviously, he's more injury prone, and he may not come back and be the same pitcher. So it's pretty high risk, and the Brewers to essentially sign him to like a one year kind of like a deferred one year deal for 2025 just doesn't make a whole lot of sense for the organization. They're not really trying to make a last one year push in 2025. When you got Cheerio coming up, Caro black, you still have the young guys that came up this year for you like Weimer Mitchell, or I guess two rang. Um, but yeah, I, I just, unfortunately it's just like, it seems like the chips just sort of fell into place that it didn't make sense, uh, which was unfortunate. So yeah, I, I guess not- that, I'm not quite sure that that giving him 20 million for a year would be like putting all the chips in for making a one year like big push for one year. Uh and I mean maybe I, I it it depends on how you look at the Brewers spending because they have well I guess it depends on their strategy for Burns and Adames first and then it, lo- it it you look at yeah what how they spend because of course the Brewers are stingy on spending. And their revenue is lower than most clubs because of the market size. Uh, and 
they do still make a little bit of money. So it's not like they have no extra money to spend, but also, of course, the owner wants to make a profit. So, uh, yeah, I would like him to sign Woodruff. And I do think he should spend more money sometimes. Uh, but they have the ability to sign Woodruff if they wanted to. But, yeah, whether it's worth it for one year, uh, I think with the uncertainty, the Brewers decided it probably isn't. And I certainly won't, like, as painful as it is as a fan to see Woodruff go, I'm not going to criticize this decision because I, I'm i not sure there was a better option. Yeah, right. That's what I meant when I said that the ship sort of fell into place. I, I think it was more so just the situation made it pretty clear. And the Brewers signing, I mean, they, they did that a little bit with, you know, Grandal and Moustakis signing like the one-year deals, but they don't necessarily do that a lot. They, they I think they really have to find somebody that they think there's a lot of potential value in a one-year deal. And I, I'm not sure Woodruff is necessarily that or aligns with a potential push for the, you know, deep run in the playoffs in 2025. But yeah, I guess to be continued as we, we see the Brewers strategy unfold with Adames and Burns. So uh, unfortunately I, I, that closes the book on, on the Brandon Woodruff news and yeah, super, super unfortunate um, to just think about Woodruff throwing his last pitch as a Brewer likely. So Let's move on to a uh, quick side notes here, I guess, more so, more or less. Jefferson, Jefferson Caro, and Bladley Blaylock being added to the 40-man roster. Those were uh, players that needed to be protected from the Rule 5 draft. Um, that's why the Brewers did that. Of course, Caro, one of the Brewers' top prospects, uh, catcher, likely to see him up this coming year, and Bradley Blaylock, the return for Luis Urias. He did slot in number 16 in the Brewers' top 30 uh, prospects. David, for those that aren't familiar, can you give a quick – Quick, quick rundown of the Rule 5 draft. Why do guys have to get put on the 40-man just for context? Yeah, the Rule 5 draft takes place at the winter meetings in early December. The intent of it is to prevent teams from stockpiling young players that are all like all the same age. So prevent them from making the major. So basically have it be a little bit of a more socialist system, I guess, of (laughs) of, um, opportunity for players. So... In order to, so a player becomes eligible when they've been in the minors for, uh, is it, let's see, trying to think, four years if you were drafted as a college player, five years if you were drafted as a high schooler or signed as an international at 18 or younger. So in this case, Bradley Blaylock was drafted in 2019 as a high schooler. So he's been five years in the minors now, counting 2020. So he has to be protected. Carreau signed in 2019. Same thing with him. So if not, the any team would be eligible to draft one of those players in the Rule 5 draft. And the stipulation when you draft a player is you have to keep that player on your roster for the entire year. And if you don't, they return to their previous team. So recent examples include Gus Varland, the Brewers selected, Wei Chung Wong, probably the most publicized, Colin Walsh, uh, Zach, uh, who was a... Um, same year as Walsh, Zach Jones from yeah. the Twins. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the Brewers had Miguel Diaz selected from them back, who was probably at least five years ago now. So there, there are some examples of Rule Five picks that uh, that work out. Johan Santana is probably the most recent, very successful example. I think Mark Canna was also a Rule Five pick by Oakland back probably now almost ten years ago. So there are some pretty good players that are selected in the Rule Five draft. And you always protect your good players because you don't want them to get selected. And it's kind of a game where you're like, "Eh, will they get selected? Because you only have a limited number of 40-man roster spots. But those are the ones who are protected. So the Brewers elected to protect Caro and Blaylock, thinking that they were possibilities. Caro for sure would be picked in a Rule 5 draft. Blaylock very likely could have been. So the Brewers elected to protect both of them. Yeah. And that, that even factors into, you know, when the Brewers acquired Blaylock for Urias back early in the season, that's obviously on both, both Boston and the Brewers mind in terms of that's one knock, I guess, against the player that you're acquiring if they've got to be on the 40 man in the off season. So that's something that is kept in mind, of course, at all times by front offices as well, I'm sure. So not much to talk about there. Let's talk about the first trade here of three Brewers sending Robert Moore and Henry Mendez for, Oliver Dunn, 26-year-old who spent the last year in AA with the Phillies, had a pretty decent year, 902 OPS in AA, and uh, more recently he won Arizona Fall League Breakout Prospect of the Year, primary second baseman, 
But uh, tell us a little bit more about Oliver Dunn and uh, your thoughts in the acquisition of him. Yeah, you almost took all my notes there from uh, my <laughs> scouting report. Um, but he's, yeah, 26-year-old who was in the Yankees organization, actually coincidentally was picked in the minor league portion of the Rule 5 draft, which basically acts the same way, but you have a certain number of players you can protect on your AAA roster. So the Yankees didn't protect him even on their AAA roster last year. The Phillies picked him, and he had a very good year at AA, but he was 25. So when you're talking about AA, often the, the prospects are very good, but they're not as experienced. So if you are an experienced hitter, you can often take advantage of pitchers who aren't as uh, aren't as fine, maybe aren't as uh, fine-tuned or developed, have more raw skills. So that's why you maybe take into consideration that Dunn was an older player for that level. He's got interesting power. Um, his contact skills, his swing, you seem to think, he okay, maybe he can hit for contact. But he did have a 27% K rate in AA last year, which is above average, as in worse than average. Uh, so that is maybe a little bit concerning. Otherwise, decent runner. He's fine at second base defensively, can play third, could play short in a pinch, played a little bit of left field even. So he's probably a major leaguer, but he's probably not going to be anything particularly notable. Keith Law of the Athletics scouted him in the fall league, and he said that Don is probably either a strong side platoon guy on a non-contender or maybe a last guy off the bench on a contender. So the Brewers probably got a major leaguer. Uh, they'll get a good look at him. And he was Rule 5 eligible, so the Brewers protected him, put him on their 40-man roster. In exchange for Dunn, they gave up Robert Moore and Henry Mendez. Robert Moore is a son of Dayton Moore, uh, who was the Royals general manager and president of baseball operations for a long time. Moore went to Arkansas, where he was he was very good, especially his freshman year. He was he graduated high school early, went to Arkansas, and was like one of their best hitters in the College World Series as an 18-year-old when he really should have been still in high school. But uh, he's a he was a second or third round pick back in, I think, 2022. And he probably, I, he, I could see him making the majors definitely, but he's just not really that highly touted of a prospect. He's kind of um, plateaued in his development. He's a good defensive second baseman. He can run a little bit, but as a hitter, he's probably a 45 hitter, meaning in the, in the future, he's probably not even an average hitter for contact. And then really doesn't have much power. He's got decent walk, uh, walk rates in the minor leagues, but is it enough for him to, to really have a decent major league role? I'm not sure about that. He was in high A last year. I think realistically, he's probably a kind of like Don, maybe a last guy off the bench, but even that, I don't know if there's certainty in that. I think um, he could be that. He could be a defensive replacement kind of uh, player. So I think parting with him is okay. And Hendry Mendez, he was only 19 years old this year with the Timber Rattlers, had a 634 OPS, kind of just average tools all across the board, probably not a starting outfielder at any point. And there's a decent chance he never makes it to the majors. Uh, but I think if he does, he's probably no more than a fourth or fifth outfielder. So kind of a I thought the trade was okay. Oliver Dunn is a little bit interesting. Got some power, maybe could could have a role at the major league level. They gave up two guys who I think realistically at like maybe the 80th or 90th percentile outcomes are backup roles in the major leagues for the two of them. So not really a steep price to pay for someone who played well last year, but at a level he was a little bit too old for. Yeah, would you say Robert Moore's ceiling is almost like a Bryce Turing, like a last year's Bryce Turing is almost like Moore's ceiling in, in some regards? I don't think he's that good defensively, but I don't think he – like I think his ceiling's a little bit better as a hitter than Turing was last year. So in terms of overall production, maybe, but I don't think Moore would get that many plate appearances uh, because his defense isn't elite. It's good, but I don't think his okay. defense is elite. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah, kind of a, I don't know, a little bit of a, a boring trade. You don't see two, like two prospects like Moore and Mendez packaged together and that be the only return. It seems like for uh, most trades, usually there's at least somebody that's got a little bit more intrigue. And I guess Moore was, you know, a second or third round pick not too long ago, but not, not a super exciting prospects. I think either, neither Moore nor Mendez. So we'll see what Oliver Dunn can do for the Brewers. 
Um, maybe we'll see him up at, at some point next year. So Brewers also sending away Abraham Toro in exchange for Chad Patrick. I've mentioned Toro, the uh, the Brewers batting average leader last year. He went eight for 18 uh, up while he was up with the big league club. Spent most of the year in AAA, uh, was due for about $1.5 million in arbitration, and uh, likely the Brewers were not going to pay that, and uh, hence the trade uh, was commenced. Why, why was why was Toro due $1.5 million after just 18 plate appearances uh, in the big leagues? I'm asking you all these off-the-cuff questions that, uh, that you didn't prepare for, but I, I'm truly curious about that. Mm-hmm. He was arbitration eligible last year, so he received, I think, about that much the Brewers paid him, and... It was based off of his previous years, so like his his 2022 was not very good. It was, in fact, it was terrible at the major league level. But his 2021 was decent, so that's why he got, I think, about 1.3 million in arbitration last year. And then this year, he would be due for like a tiny raise because you you never go down in arbitration, and you usually go up even if it's just by a little bit. Got it. I forgot he had that decent year. With uh, Seattle, that's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. but but yeah, um, of course Toro, uh, Toro was uh, sort of in in the mix with Owen Miller, Andrew Monasterio, but didn't necessarily get have the at bats for him with with those guys. Uh, maybe should have gotten a little bit more opportunity. It seemed like just on the surface. Mm-hmm. But um, what are your thoughts on on the trade? The Brewers exchanging um, Toro for a pitcher. But what are your thoughts on on Toro and and then the Brewers? what they received in Chad Patrick. I thought it made sense to trade Toro. He was out of options, couldn't really play shortstop, which definitely is a disadvantage compared to Owen Miller or Andre Monasterio or even Oliver Dunn for that matter. I think Toro maybe kind of like Oliver Dunn. He could be a starter on a non-contender or maybe a bench guy on a contender. But last year with the Brewers struggling so badly at third base and not, I, I thought he they, they weren't willing to give him opportunity at third base. I thought they should have. But for whatever reason, they didn't. So I think when they weren't going to give him opportunity with really getting no production out of third base, when are they going to have a better opportunity <laughs> to play Toro? It's never going to happen, really. So I thought trading him at that point made sense. Chad Patrick isn't really that interesting of a prospect. He's, I think he's 26 now. He's probably a like a fringe depth starter. Think Caleb Bosley. He He's... 92 to 95 he's got a pretty good uh we'll call it like a lateral breaking ball i mean it's a sometimes called a cutter sometimes slider by the categorizations he has a distinct cutter and slider the cutter is like two to three miles an hour harder with a little bit less break so if you want to call it cutter and slider slider and sweeper whatever you want to call it but he's got one decent breaking ball also throws a change up in there and actually my freshman year of college, um, our first series was against Purdue Northwest, which was where Chad Patrick played. And he was a senior that year. So I didn't play that game. But I remember going in, the scouting report said, if you can beat Chad Patrick, you should be in good shape. Said like upper eights into maybe low nines, low 90s, velo, uh, good breaking ball, good command. And so we're like, OK, I mean, he's he seems good, but he seems beatable. And we get there and he's 92 to 95 with a wipeout breaking ball dotting up on the corners. Uh, got a very good backspin uh, fastball in addition to it being low to mid 90s. First game of the year, about 40 degrees outside. And uh, safe to say we did not win that game. We It was a seven inning game and he was one out away from a no hitter. But six and two third no hit innings. And then our first baseman, shout out Ryan Bastier. Uh, he was a... he. I think he had the the one walk in the game too, and he hit a little bit, little uh, not a blooper, but line drive not hit all that hard. Got through to center field, and Chad Patrick was a a little bit upset that he lost the no hitter with one out to go, even if it would have only been a seven inning no hitter. And he wound up going in the fourth round to Arizona that year, the highest drafted D two player in that class. So I have seen Chad Patrick up close uh, from the dugout, um, and actually one final final. Uh, Side note, I remember that game, this dude was just dominating us. And I look at our trainer and I'm like, not every D2 pitcher is like this, right? And I'm like, if this is the case that all the starters are like this, I have no chance of playing. Uh, like, I was all right, but I was not not anywhere close to this. And he looks at me, he's like, this guy could pitch on any SEC pitching staff right now. I think out of all the D2 pitchers I've seen, 
the best is between either this guy, Chad Patrick, or Gus Varland, who of course played for the Brewers last year and went to Concordia St. Paul, where I was. So high praise for Chad Patrick in D2. I don't think uh, he's probably going to have that big of a major league role, but he could get there. And the Brewers acquired him for Abraham Toro in what I would say is an okay trade. I would give it a grade of about a C plus um, reasonable trade for that matter, Toro for Patrick. So a couple of okay trades. This one I think you could have a little bit more of a stronger opinion on because the Brewers gave up a little bit more here in this last one, giving up Jace Avina and Brian Sanchez. Uh, Avina, I mentioned the twenty-eight number 28th prospect, according to MLB Pipeline. He was in Carolina this past year. Brian Sanchez spent the last year in DSL. Bowers, sort of a, a, an interesting trajectory in terms of his major league career. A decent prospect, but hasn't really been able to put things together. So what are your thoughts? It seems like the Brewers gave up a decent amount for a guy who barely hit above the Mendoza line last year in New York. Yeah, I don't really know what the Brewers were doing here. I don't, I mean, Jay Savina isn't some blue chip prospect or anything, but it's it kind of reminds me of the Trevor Rosenthal trade. Rosenthal was traded for when he was injured and we traded Tristan Peters. Okay, Peters probably isn't going to make the majors, we traded for an injured player that we could have signed two, three weeks ago. And it is almost the same situation here where he's not injured, but he was going to get non-tendered. I can't imagine there would have been that much of a market for him. And we probably could have gotten him on a minor league deal after the non-tender. I mean, sure, there was no certainty of that, but it was likely. The Brewers had to have really liked Jake Bowers. And I, too, really liked Jake Bowers about five years ago when he was a top prospect. <laughs> he, I think, was ranked in the top 50 uh, prospects in major in the major leagues by MLB Pipeline, which is quite impressive for a first baseman. First basemen don't often get rated that highly because if their bat doesn't come around, they've got nothing else to fall back on, which is what has happened with Bowers. Bowers has gotten like four opportunities at the major league level and hasn't been able to hit really in any opportunity in the majors. He hit really well in AAA this year, but it was probably his fifth or sixth year at AAA. So I'm not sure how much that means. Now it's always possible he made adjustments. Matt Arnold said that Bowers made some swing adjustments that they really like over the course of the year. Now the only problem with that is he hit better in the first half by a wide margin than he did in the second half. So unless the swing changes didn't translate to results, which is possible, but not the most likely then seems a little bit strange. He's due about $1.7 million in arbitration, which, yeah, I mean, he's a fraction of the cost of Rowdy, but we're not trying to replace Rowdy. Rowdy was not good last year. And a first baseman who hit 203 last year, 279 OBP, 413 slugging in his third or fourth opportunity in the majors. I don't get it. Really the only saving grace. He had a 720 OPS against right-handed pitchers. So, you don't want, you're not going to play him against lefties, but he was awful against lefties. So at least there was something that he did that was reasonably good. <laughs> but I don't understand this trade. Avina is, I don't know, he's at least interesting. He played really well in rookie ball last year and then pretty well in, in, in A ball with Carolina this year. If I remember right, he's not a very good defender. But still, I'd rather have somebody who's young and has a chance of playing in the majors. Uh, and keep him and then someone like Jake Bowers, even perhaps Jake Bowers himself, we probably could have gotten on a minor league deal for a million dollars less without giving up the prospects does not make sense to me. Uh, the only, the only thing is that Bowers is a little bit interesting, I guess, cause he used to be a top prospect. So I'll, I graded a D D minor, <laughs> but I don't like this trade. It seems like, I mean, it seems like it's not as though the Matt Arnold wasn't aware that they, they could have gotten him, you know, a week later for a million dollars less. So I don't know. Something tells me there's something there. I, I don't know if that something is worth anything or the something will turn out to be anything, but there, there's got to be something there. Was another team really that interested in him and the Brewers felt the need to pay him a million dollars more and give up two prospects for? I, I don't know. It's, but I think you're right. It definitely on the surface seems like we're missing something. Like definitely some questions around this trade. Well, and that's what we said um, about Trevor Rosenthal, but then, I mean, he did get hurt again, but yeah, I don't yeah. know. Some questionable trades along the way in the last couple of years, obviously, both in, in big magnitude and I guess smaller uh, from really 
you know, a small, this is, a, this is a still a relatively small deal um, all the way, you know, through and through to some of the really farms, obviously we've picked up and um, then bigger trades like the hater trade, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, it seems like we're missing something on this one. Do you think Bowers is more or less a lock to, to be on the opening day roster for the Brewers then? I wouldn't say lock, but I would say extremely likely because of what we gave up for him. And he's also out of minor league options. So no flexibility there. He has to be on the major league roster. To me, not that the Jake Bowers trade is some trajectory altering trade, but I think if anything, this may be an indication that the Brewers are not planning to go all in. They never go all, all in, but mm -hmm. even as in as they were the past few years on contending this year, because there's no room for a, a Jake Bowers type for Jake Bowers, who you commit to before the year to be on the roster on a yeah. team that you expect to contend. So I think maybe they're going to give him some opportunity to maybe see if he can figure it out, see if they can unlock something kind of like they did back in the day with Manny Pena, the overlooked uh, Pena wasn't really a prospect, but the overlooked <laughs> guy who's 27, maybe we, there's something interesting about him. We can find something and, Maybe he turns into a good platoon bat. I think that's probably the Brewers thinking on this one. And they probably say, well, let's, we'd rather do this than just sign Carlos Santana for uh, for a one-year deal if we're not going to be contending that much, even though I'd much rather have Santana for four or five million and be a nice veteran presence for the young guys than, than someone like Jake Bowers, especially if we're going to give something up for Bowers. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I would, I would love to see Santana back. Uh, I think that would be, that would be good. The the veteran player amongst the young guys, I think, is an underrated. That's underrated. Like, I and agree. we're not talking about fifteen million dollars to bring back Santana. Like, I, I don't know. There's something to be said about about that, and about playing the game right and being there for what it's been like a decade. Um, for Santana, decade plus years. Yeah, yeah. So. That alone, I mean, that alone, I think, uh, could pay itself and then some beyond what he does on the field. But I don't know. I think it's interesting. I think you're right. It, 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 I think, provides at least a glimpse into what direction the Brewers might be going, which I think is a entirely separate episode that we could spend a couple episodes on because this really is sort of the – this is the year the Brewers have to commit which way they're going, and this is the off season. It starts now which way they're going to go. Um, so more to come on that. We'll certainly be be talking more about that. But for our final topic here today, we got to talk about what we're thankful thankful for. Of course, Thanksgiving coming up here this week. So in in Brewers themed here, four things that David and I are thankful for. I'll go I'll go first. We'll we'll alternate every other David. How about that? So uh, my my first thing I'm thankful for is Brewers have the third best record in the National League over what is it, the past five seasons? I think it is. Um, that's that's one thing I'm thankful for. I think it gets un overlooked by by Brewers fans. I mean, we've only only trailing the the Dodgers and the Braves over the last five seasons, and I don't know our our payrolls like what sixty percent of uh, of what their payrolls have been some years. Not even, yeah, true. That's true. Um, so I'm thankful for third best record in the National League over the past five seasons. What are what are you thankful for, David? I'm thankful for the Brewers' current logo and uniforms. I was reminded of it recently. Because I think Friday was the four-year anniversary of when they unveiled the new uniforms. And, I mean, it's the ball and glove logo, which they did edit a little bit. I like the old ball and glove logo better, I will admit. But the current one has grown on me a little bit. And it still is an excellent logo, one of the best in sports. The uniforms are much better than the ones they were wearing between 2000 and 2019. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the pinstripe uniforms. And the road grays. Those are my two favorite, the pinstripes and the road grays. Uh, I think the Brewers have among the best uniform set in baseball. And I'm a sucker for good baseball uniforms. So I'm thankful for for the Brewers set. Big, big logo and uniform guy. Big, big, big. And of course, yeah, you, your least favorite Brewers jersey is the one that I am wearing at the moment, I guess. So that's good to know, I guess. Uh, second thing I'm thankful for is the Brewers youth. We've talked about that already uh, a lot today. Sal Freelich, Garrett Mitchell, Turang, everybody, Churio. But it's a, it's going to be exciting, Caro. Uh, it's going to be, I think it's regardless of what happens here the next three to five years, I mean, like I said, who knows if it's the next Corey Ray, Brett Phillips, Lewis Brinson, 
uh, that'll be a little bit less exciting. Um, or we get some, you know, some real blue chip prospects that turn into guys like Brandon Woodruff or Corbin Burns. That that could be a ton of fun. So I'm excited and thankful for the Brewers youth that we have up and coming up here in the next couple of years. In not at all the same vein, I'm very thankful for Dean Roscoe, the organist, <laughs> best organist in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, he's the only organist that I'm aware of, but he's excellent, especially when he plays Dancing Queen during the replay review on the organ. I'm very thankful for Dean Roscoe in that in that uh, setting. Um, and I hope they always have organ music. I know it's kind of old school now. You go to uh, like Bucks games are people say they're more exciting. They've got more modern music, but I'm a, I love old baseball organ music, especially when they take songs and convert them to the organ. I mean, like you've, you've got like the pop songs that like you play on in the, the marching band, not a fan at all, but when you put them on the organ to me, that that hits different, especially at a baseball game. So I'm thankful for the work Dean Roscoe does as an organist. Cause I know I could never be good enough to play the organ. I can play the piano, but not the organ. So I hope Dean Roscoe, has a lifetime contract with the Brewers uh, to be the organist. There we go. That I didn't see that. Uh, didn't see that coming. I actually drove literally today. It's really funny you, you brought that up. I drove past uh, Organ Piper Pizza in uh, Hales Corners. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Um, West Dallas. And, and it's West Dallas. And the sign. It, the sign was gone. It seems like it was closed. I, I did a quick sure. Google search, and I, I'm seeing an article here, October. Of, okay, just last month, Oregon Pizza still piping at Oregon Piper Pizza in Greenfield. So okay. did, maybe they had more than one location. I think um, that one might be Greenfield. I it's kind of all at the at the convergence of Hills hmm. Corners, Greenfield, and West Dallas. But Dean Roscoe actually will occasionally play at Oregon Piper. Yeah. in uh, whatever city I was about to, <laughs> uh, <laughs> city, but whatever city it is. Yeah, they opened in 1976. Wow. And there are only three like it in the entire country. Hmm. Um, the Oregon Piper Pizza Organist Sack Frame uh, said in, in the article. So I guess Brewers fans help us out. Uh, maybe I'm just, the sign was down, they're replacing it. I, I don't know. It seemed it seemed like they were closed. The sign was not on, but it was a Monday, and but the sign was completely gone. So I don't know. That well, that well That's probably the most important thing coming out of the episode today is, is whether or not Oregon Piper Pizza is still open. But I did recall that you had said Dean Roscoe has, has a frequent in that uh, – that place and, and played Oregon. So, all right. Um, on that note, um, my favorite or another thing I'm thankful for is a major league baseball team in Milwaukee. Obviously, I, I think I said this a little bit uh, jokingly because of all the talk about major league baseball threatening to move the Brewers out of Milwaukee. I don't think there was any legitimacy to that, but uh, still very grateful and thankful for a major league baseball team here. And that has been here for decades. Uh, it was a big part of our childhood and a lot of fun, having the Milwaukee Brewers in Milwaukee and hopefully a lifetime more here in Milwaukee. Yours are so serious. Mine are a lot more lighthearted. I feel like <laughs> my, my third one will be a, a category of things that I'm thankful for related to uh, vocal entertainment. We'll call it. This sounds like a jeopardy category. Like I'll take vocal <laughs> entertainment for 400. Um, but I, I would say, so this would include, uh, the PA announcer, especially Rob Edwards. I loved Rob Edwards as a PA announcer. Uh, sorry to the current guy. I don't think you're as good as Rob Edwards, but I do still think he's good. And I've heard other PA announcers that are not nearly as good as the Brewers' current PA announcer. I forget his name. So the PA announcer is one category or one subset within the category of vocal performance. A second one, Bob Kozlowski singing God Bless America. I hope Bob Kozlowski sings God Bless America forever. And if not, can we please record Bob Bob Kozlowski singing God Bless America? Kind of like Bob Shepard for Derek Jeter announcing him. They played that for the rest of his career. Uh, please, yeah, I, I, would, I hope we hear Bob Kozlowski singing God Bless America forever. And then third, just the Brewers play-by-play and color commentators uh, generally. Brian Anderson is excellent. Bill Schroeder is great. Bob Euchre, of course, the legend. And even Lane Grindle, Jeff Levering, they both do a good job too. So I'm really thankful for the Brewers broadcasters because I think that they do an excellent job among the best in baseball. Yeah, they really are. We've been we've been really spoiled. Uh, even just radio and TV with Euchre and Brian Anderson, uh, that alone I think is, is spoiled us 
Um, so yeah, Brewers have had excellent uh, vocal talent. Mark Richards, the uh, current Brewers PA announcer. A little, little trivia for you there. <laughs> we'll have to bring that back as a trivia question. Who's the PA announcer for the Brewers? So Mark Richards. Uh, shout out to Mark Richards, who's I'm sure listening to the episode um, right now. So finally, final thing I'm thankful for is uh, Brewers fans, Brewer Nation. I, I guess I did have kind of four serious ones. But um, it's been a lot of fun having the podcast here. Now we've been, we always talk about our first episode was uh, breaking down the Garrett Mitchell draft. And uh, it's been coming up on, we'll be coming up on four years, not too long of doing this. So this has been a lot of fun and we've got to meet some cool people to bring onto the podcast. We always enjoy getting to interact with all of you guys on, on Twitter and uh, just, yeah, it's been a lot of fun doing this and we're thankful for all of you who make this possible for us. And my last one, I am thankful for the roof. I get cold <laughs> in April. Uh, sometimes I think maybe I wouldn't want the roof. You know, I go to Target Field, but then it starts snowing while I'm at the game. And I'm like, yeah, I, maybe I do like the roof. I didn't live through 30 years of County Stadium or 43, I guess, if you count the Braves era. So I am grateful for the roof, even when sometimes it does look a little bit ugly on the inside. But it's so nice, you know. It's it, it's not going to rain inside. Not going to get a rain delay. It's forty two degrees outside, but it's going to be sixty five inside, which is perfect. And uh, it's I, I love I, I like the roof. I'm I'm thankful for the roof, and hopefully they're able to. Well, they just passed the deal, so they're going to be able to preserve uh, American Family Field and the roof. So I'm grateful for that aspect of being a Brewer fan. Yeah, that's that was glad. That's glad to hear that. And the roof has got to stay. I a hundred percent believe in that. I think I've always been at Target Field. It seems like one extreme or the other two, where it's either like freezing or super hot. I would not be a fan of of that uh, in Milwaukee. But uh, like I said, more to come here in this off season. It, it is always a lot of fun to record the off season episodes and get to break down some of these signings, trades, and all the the news going on for the Brewers. And uh, I'm certainly going to be a very eventful off season, really regardless of whether or not the Brewers make moves or not. I think the, the whole off season will be a lot of question marks around it and exactly determining where the Brewers are going to go from here, what direction they take. So we'll have you covered here over at the barrel banter. Like David said, uh, you can, you can find us over on X uh, at the barrel MKE. Uh, we're super active over there. David's also starting to write for reviewing the brew and we'll be uh, doing so with Brewer fanatic shortly. So go check them out there as well. We'll be back for another episode. In the meantime, enjoy your next week or two and happy Thanksgiving to all of you. This is Peter and David Go signing off. As always, go Brewers.